This podcast is brought to you by UK Coaching, here for the coach. Visit ukcoaching.org to grow your coaching skills and be part of the community. Without further ado, I'm going to introduce you briefly to um, Alan Rapley and to Tom Hartley. Alan Rapley is a coach developer at UK Coaching, um, an excellent PN, and he coaches a number of high-level coaches across a number of different sports. And Tom, who's one of our senior coach developers at UK Coaching, Tom is an experienced football coach, a football coach educator, amongst many other things. Thanks, Jenny. Um, hello, everyone. Afternoon. Uh, just, just to expand a little bit on, on what Jenny said before we get going, Al and I will just give you a quick, but a little bit more detail on, on our background and our experience. So speaking personally, um, I've been at UK Coaching now for uh, around about a month. Um, so new into the role, new into the organisation. Um, but have spent my entire career around working in sport coaching and, and coach development. So before coming to UK Coaching, I worked at Arsenal Football Club um, as the uh, coach, uh, women and girls coach development manager. So looking after all the development of women and girls football at the club, as well as a, a coach within their academy setup. Um, there for about three years, and, and before that, uh, worked at the Football Association on a, on a, a football coaching program called the FA Skills program. So lots of experience kind of working in the football world, um, but kind of from a coach development perspective, uh, I've had many years kind of leading courses, supporting coaches, really helping them get the best out of their practice to, to help, their, help their players. Alan? Yeah, hi, everybody. Um, thanks for joining us on, uh, on, on this occasion today. A bit of background about me. Um, I was an Olympic swimmer. I was captain of the GB Olympic team in 1996 which seems an absolute lifetime ago now. Um, I moved straight into coaching and into elite coaching, working at High Performance Centre in Edinburgh, working with uh, about a dozen uh, Olympians, um, a lot of who are now coaching themselves. Um, I then moved on to be head of coaching at the ASA for the transition of uh, traditional qualifications into UKCC. Um, and after five or six years of that, I ended up being a consultant uh, part of my consultancy, I was head of academy at British Fencing, um, and I was fortunate enough, uh, similar to Tom, to move into football, where I was head of coaching at Fulham Football Club um, for about 18 months, two years, um, before I made the transition to uh, UK coaching, where, as Jenny, Jenny alluded to, I work with 15 coaches each 18 months um, in multiple different sports. I think we're up to about 14 or 15 different sports now, working on uh, them as individuals and how we can best help them and help those individual coaches to better the athletes they're working with in preparation for the next Olympics. Um, I believe I'm going to hand over to Tom now. He's going to go through sort of uh, the outline of uh, the next hour. Brilliant. Thanks, Alan. So in, in terms of the next hour or so, um, the, the, obviously the title of the workshop is Developing the Coach, Developing the Player or the Athlete. Um, and really from this, we, we'd like you to go away thinking about the things that you're doing at the moment in the current climate um, to think about the planning process, uh, reviewing your own coaching and what that looks like when we go back on the grass or the pitch, um, but also maybe what, what you're doing in this space to, to take advantage of the, the current situation and how then that can support the players and the athletes you work with when you, you go back and back onto the grass. So there's really three kind of key headings we're going to talk through today. One is about plan do review, which I'm sure for, for all of you being part of kind of coach education in your various sports, you'll be really familiar with that kind of process and cycle. Um, we're going to share a few ideas around reflection, uh, talk about some reflection models and, and what that might look like uh, from a formal structure. So some, some kind of processes to work through, but also informally what reflection looks like as well for you as coaches. Um, and then giving you some ideas and just some, some conversation starters, if you like, about thinking forwards, what happens next? What, what are you going to do now to really support yourself, your development, and how that will have an impact on the people in your care? Cool, thanks for that, that Tom. Um, yeah, relatively speaking, uh, and I've had a, a number of conversations with a number of coaches over the last three to four weeks. And one of the offers is, is that 18 months ago, I'd have said, you're allowed to press pause, and you've got six to eight weeks to not coach, to sit in your house and to do things, most coaches would have bitten my hand off. 
So that's how we've come round to, to thinking around this. Uh, one of the traditional models we've looked at in the past is, is plan do review. And in conversations over the last three to four weeks with numerous coaches and numerous internal staff at UK Coaching, I think this is an opportunity, um, or we feel this is an opportunity to, to relook at the traditional plan do review model and just kind of change the emphasis on it. Um, so one of the things we're going to look at today is, is actually, if we can't do the do, which uh, most coaches can't do at the moment in terms of delivering to athletes, delivering, as Tom said, on the pitch or on the deck side or in the gym, then, then how do we do the plan review better and how do we look at that? But one of the things that's come out in the last week through conversation is actually the do can be you as an individual use your self-development <clears throat> and doing what you can do within that plan and within that review system. Alan, link, link into that. I think with the, the coaches conversations that we've had over the past two weeks, there's been a big focus on kind of that remote coaching. So from your house in, into, the, into the homes of your athletes and, and also thinking about how can we create really good connections and, and learn socially in this space. So actually, as, like as Alan says that, that do at the moment actually it's it's pressing pause for being out out on the grass and and kind of being out there doing some technical stuff in the conventional traditional way but it's a really really good opportunity to reshape what we do for ourselves and then how that has a, a really big impact and almost taking some some time which we haven't really got a choice about to think about us and, and what we can do with that do with that time yeah i totally agree and and there are lots and lots, as you said, through Curious Coaches and, and lots of other things online at the moment that we can, we can have a look at. And, and it's just one of the, the areas that, that I've been thinking about for, for a long time now, the sort of 10 years I've been doing coach development. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of people um, online at the moment will be thinking about is, is everybody knows the plan and do review structure and as part of their, their qualifications and their coaching. I wonder how many people actually do the review section of it. I think it's of the, the triangle. It'll be the first one that actually goes out of the system. That we're all busy. Um, time is, is uh, we're, we're time poor normally. And I find that most people end up planning and then doing. And when time becomes even more pushed, they just do. And I just think it's really interesting at the moment to explore sort of possibilities around, well, if, if we take and do out of the equation, we're only left with plan and review. And then even if we take the, re, the, the actual plan out for a little while, um, I, when we're reacting over the last couple of weeks, then, then how do we actually do that review? What are the sort of systems we put in place? What are the thought processes we put in place? Are there any really good um, theories or are there any good practicalities that we can use on that and I know Tom and I've had a discussion on that over the last last week or so yeah Alan just just jumping in it, it's interesting I think I think probably as coaches and, and we all we all do this we, we all reflect but maybe we're not purposeful with what that reflection looks like so we've all driven home from training and thought about what's worked what hasn't and and almost analyzed everything on on our car journey home um, but it's also done I guess it's Potentially done as a byproduct of just having that time and space while you're traveling home to think about things because it's current and in, in the front of your mind. So if we if we do it kind of casually and think about it, then we'll get some return. But if we use this time to be really purposeful about what that reflection looks like and perhaps try and think about the way we coach or the way we have coached in a different way, um, it might shine a spotlight or illuminate a few things that we hadn't really thought of in the past. So I think this is a really cool opportunity to, to use that and to be um, purposeful reflectors, which will help us plan and, and be better on the pitch in, in the future. So can you give me an example of that, Tom? Uh, you say about driving in a car and, and where have you done that differently or how have you done that differently in the past? Um, I guess I guess there's, there's probably a few different ways of looking at almost that informal reflection and what that might look like. On the way home from training so yeah we, we've all been there we've all sat there on the way home thinking about training but how could you use that space slightly differently so from an informal perspective 
Um, we've all got other coaches who we work with on a regular basis who we could engage with. Um, we could speak to someone and, and maybe there's a challenge that you're facing within your practice that, that actually if you share it with someone else, they might have come across this stuff before um, and might be able to offer you some, some suggestions or some solutions on how you can go about solving that problem. So the, there's, there's such a community out there of coaches in your sport, in your environment, who, who probably face very similar challenges and, and have posed similar questions themselves. But I'd say that, that's probably one that is an easy fix. We all know someone who we can pick up the phone to and talk to. Um, I guess there's a couple of other, other informal ways that could make, help you think differently. So maybe asking someone from a different sport. So if you, if you know a coach who doesn't necessarily coach the sport you're, you're kind of um, an expert in or worked in mainly, speaking to someone from outside of that sport, they might ask, ask you some questions that maybe other people internally to the sport wouldn't necessarily consider. They might cut straight through um, areas that, that perhaps don't, other people don't who, who see it in a certain way. And I guess if you're outside of the sport, your, your filter, your view for asking questions for reflection might be slightly different. Um, so yeah, they're speaking to someone you know, they're speaking to someone you know who works in a different field. And I guess maybe the other, the other thing that, that is a bit, it takes a bit more of a risk and you'd probably have to have an element of a boldness and braveness about you to do this, but maybe asking someone who, who you think might disagree with you would help give you just some, some different ideas. Um, almost a rebel thinker, someone who, who perhaps might, might approach the challenge that you've got in a completely different way. And it's not necessarily then to, to go and agree and do what other people say, but it's to just challenge your thinking and challenge the process that you're going through. Yeah, I, I think there's some the, the really good practical points, to, uh, Tom. Um, I know over the last sort of um, six or seven years of, of coach development, one of the critical things that, that we've tried and, and I get most mileage out of is that informal community of practice and especially if we put review down as um, a topic it's really really interesting i think generally speaking as coaches a lot of us will work on our own and work on our individual stuff and cope with things in our individual way and find solutions individually and i know the community to practice uh, i've set up over the last while is that forum has become such a critical element in um in the way it almost in day-to-day week-to-week operation for coaches now that they are asking questions they are opening up a little bit more they are trying to find those those critical friends as you you mentioned at the end um and one of the biggest benefits of it has been from using people outside of sport so if we can get a group together of four five six people who are from different sports or a couple of sports over those six people, then we found that being a massive, massive advantage to individuals. It's a really safe environment. It's a really interesting environment to to raise a question, raise your head above the parapet, ask some questions that maybe you're not comfortable doing in your own sport as well um, for that side of stuff. So yeah, I think it's um, those informal side of things initially are, are a really interesting way of going. And the more communities of practice I run, the, the more powerful the tool I, I reckon they are. Do you know what? That, that's a really interesting point about speaking to other coaches from other sports. And I think there's a couple of things associated with that that are really useful for coaches to maybe take away and think about. <clears throat> we had a community of practice last week off the back of the last Curious Coaches Club. And one of the big discussion points came up was what what is the role of the coach in different sports? So there was a coach from basketball who was effectively saying, well, the role of the coach in basketball is quite integral to the way the game is played. Traditionally, you're calling a timeout, you're calling set plays, you're sending players on and off. And actually that notion of making it athlete-centered or player-centered is slightly different maybe in that setting. Whereas someone who's working in paddle sports doesn't have a coach right next to them. Um, so they're ha- you're preparing the athletes for, to think and to perform in a slightly different way about being dependent on the coach. So bringing that back to review and reflection, well, actually, when, when you're reflecting on your own practice, it helps you maybe notice things about where you are within the practice that you hadn't necessarily considered, considered before. Um, There's a comment I just noticed in the, in the chat as well about how, how good are we honestly at reflecting? Well, 
speaking personally, and I think that for all of us, we're on a journey with this. We're, we're always looking for new ways to do it and things to improve on. Well, maybe I only reflect on the things which I'm aware of that are conscious to me in, in my line of sight. And by calling that critical friend or having those open discussions, you can start to identify and spot things which sit just outside that peripheral vision. And there's, there's every, every one of us in, in coaching and every walk of life will have have blind spots or do things or not do things that we're not quite aware of. So to help people help support you understand that and see it is really beneficial for your overall development as a coach. Yeah, and I, and I think picking up on that, Tom, and, and briefly looking through some of the chat that's going on, I, I think it's one of the opportunities a, a community of practice offers or, or something akin to that is designated space to do that in and a designated time to do that in. Um, it's it's one of the, the biggest bits of feedback we get on the performance foundation group of actually putting some time in with, with one of the coach developers or putting the time in for community practice actually allows me to stop and, and pause and create space and time for myself to do it properly. Whereas, as you say, if you are in, in a car on the way home, it's kind of like a self hot wash of, of, of your thoughts. And as you say, very quite emotive in that. Whereas if you've given it, some time giving it some space it becomes more of a uh, a mind feedback loop or reflection rather than a, than a heartfelt emotive reflection as well so yeah. i think um, actually Alan, using yeah i just um, I just, it's jenny hi jenny hi i just wanted to come in because i've been looking at the comments as well um one of the the threads is all around um interactions and how we can reflect on the interactions and not just on the coaching practice so how do we use our players and athletes to help us reflect and how we can empower them to help us reflect in a more positive way i just wondered what your thoughts and tom's thoughts were on that yeah i, I think that's a really really good point a really interesting point i know i i've watched a couple of um some sessions this year when the coaches finished the session and given over to the athletes and then it's down to the athletes to do the reflection um on on that session or on that program or on that competition or that game and and it's been a really empowering thing for the athletes to do in the first instance but also in shaping how they feel the session went and therefore shaping the, the coach's thoughts on how the session was interpreted um so yeah i think it's been a a real eye opener this this year and, and it's i think it's something that that we look at i know i'm working with a coach at the moment and one of the things we said is to do a, a, a full program review uh during this time and one of the areas we've discussed is selecting two or three different types of athletes to come on that and actively helping in that review process um just to give that uh, and it's something Tom and I go on to later on in terms of, of managing expectations um, of the whole group, not just through the coaching lens. Just to add to what Alan's saying as well, in, in terms of that, that kind of athlete or participant um, feedback, massively important, but I think we can all draw it down to a really basic level as well. As, as coaches, sometimes we are we are easy to, to self-criticize. We're easy to kind of think about all the things which maybe haven't gone so well within our practice and, and almost neglect, neglect, the re, neglect the really good stuff. And we can't forget, as coaches, we're not all the same, but we've got loads of super strengths. And we go out there and we coach in a certain way and the players keep coming back. So maybe feedback from, from first, first point of call as well. Do you, do you get regular participation in sessions? And not necessarily from a, if you're at a top end of a, a talent development um, program, but if you're working in participation sport, well, actually, do the do the participants keep coming back? Are they having fun? Do they smile in their in your practice? Well, actually, that's a great starting point because if those things aren't happening, then then maybe you need to delve a little bit deeper. But actually, it's it's almost worth celebrating. You're doing so many things well as a coach already that you'd maybe neglect to even consider. So it's that consistency, that unconditional unconditional support you offer to the people in your care, which actually because we we all always want the best for the, the players that we coach. We do that stuff without even thinking about it. But actually, that's a really positive thing to reflect on because it has such an important knock-on effect for, for the people we're trying to affect the most. 
Um, just, just one of the one of the things we we were talking about, kind of when we were designing today and, and talking about the things we wanted to share, was almost taking that plan do review model, kind of re reworking it and rewiring it slightly, for, especially for this this period of time. Yeah. So as, as I alluded to earlier, just from my experience over the years, that plan do review is a, a traditional model we use. And it's really interesting, it's actually written in that way. And when people think of that model, it's, it's a plan, do review, and review comes last. So one of the things we decided we'd look at today is what would, <laughs> relatively speaking, what would the plan, do, review model look like if it was actually review, plan, do? That the doing became the last in the sequence rather than uh, the middle of it and the driver for it. So what if the review became the catalyst, the fulcrum of, of, of that triangle? or actually the first step in that, that system. And, and how would that change coaching? How would that change, change your, um, uh, I, I guess, appreciation of what you do and why you do and how you do stuff? But then also, how would that springboard to the next, the next level? Uh, one of the things we talk about is, is effectiveness and efficiency within, within training, within coaching, within, within competition. And I, I'm, I'm a, personally a big believer in, in the more time we spend in review, the, the easier it is to plan, which therefore makes the doing even easier as well. Um, and just, I'm very simple in this, and, and I, I know there are lots and lots of tools out there, but a simple SWOT analysis that you can sustain over a period of time, and I've seen loads and loads of um, people going straight to tools and, and frameworks in, in the text boxes. But for me, a, a nice, simple SWOT analysis, but it's something that's sustainable for you. I think the reason we get to a point where review drops out of the plan do review is it becomes too onerous, it becomes too kind, time consuming. And, and as uh, Richard just said there, people are very time poor. So I think to find a mechanism that you can review in a way that suits your time, suits your 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 uh, place of coaching suits your environment and, and I've seen things come through but whether that's getting someone to use a GoPro on you whether that's you just doing some voice notes at the end of a meet uh, or a session whether that's you having a little journal with the top three things um, that went well or didn't go well um, and I also think it's very very British office that when we do a review that we look at what, what didn't go so well or what was weak or, or what was a threat. Whereas I believe if we did a lot of review in, the, in America, then we'd see people's strengths more. And I think sometimes it's as interesting to, to review why you won or why you performed well or why that training session went really well, as opposed to only reviewing when things go wrong or, or it's a catastrophe or the results didn't go the way that you wanted to go. So I think a nice, easy SWOT analysis is, is always a really decent first step and then see what falls out of that. Yeah, 100%. And, and actually, you're right, kind of that, that review part, which really kind of encompasses the second part of the discussion, uh, that this review part doesn't necessarily have to be technically really difficult to do. It could be something that just helps you really kind of frame your thinking and frame, frame where you want to help get your yourself as a coach and then the people that you're working with too um, and I think maybe something for everyone to consider at this moment in time as well so you're in a we're in a period which is is different in a period which is um, something none of us have experienced before so maybe we need to really start thinking about well what did my practice look like before corona right so what what was I doing on a regular basis and, and to, to use the, the model Alan just shared so what what was I doing well even better if what changes would I like to make for the future um, I guess we're in a period now, that, that during period where we're, we're reflecting, we're reviewing and we're planning for the future. But a big question I would suggest as coaches to ask yourselves is, well, what are we planning for? Because what happens when we go back on the grass, might, it might not feel, it might not look exactly the same as where you left it um, before, before the coronavirus hit. So uh, I, I guess there's, a, there's some practical considerations in terms of, well, there might be some some people in your group who, who actually were pre-growth spurt when you stopped and now are post-growth spurt when you go back. Um, or or they just there might be a huge array of factors that are, are just different or, or altered 
compared to where you left off. So as part of this reflection process, it's almost thinking about right, where do we want to where do we want to go with it? Um, so yeah, SWOT analysis, Alan, as you mentioned, was that is is a really simple tool just to look at almost strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. But is is as well as looking at yourself, I guess there's some other other considerations we can take into place as well. Yeah, I, I think um, one that always raises as an opportunity for me is the environment and the program itself. Um, I like always like to look at an environment from the athlete's point of view um, as what happens when the athlete A, is recruited into that environment, whether that's a formal or informal recruitment, what happens the week or month before they come into that new environment, what's the first couple of weeks, couple of months look like in that environment, what do they do while they're in that environment, and then practically at any point they could exit that environment, and that could be an exit out just for personal reasons, that could be an exit out to a different club or squad, that could be an exit out into a GB team, or that could be an exit out due to geographical relocation or, or, or other influences like that. So I like to see people doing a reflection of how that program would look from the, from the athlete's point of view, not just the coach's point of view. You've also then got, depending on the level you're at, a, a committee or a um, parents or, or a board of parents or a governing body or a performance director or a, a set of executives as well and, and how does it look from their point of view and I think sometimes that the coach gets caught in the middle of that and delivers what they're comfortable with in the environment they're comfortable with and people can either move through and move out and they either adapt to that environment or they're out or, or however it manifests itself. So can we create an environment, and, and this has been a really interesting three weeks for that, of can we create new environments where we can keep hold of the athletes, we can keep the athletes active to a degree um, in some specific areas. I'm sure there are going to be some athletes at the moment who are overtraining, paradoxically, because they're at home, they're in an environment where they're with parents quite a lot, um, or with other athletes a lot, and and they'll be beasting each other. And when they come back in in a, in a few weeks, few months' time, there's that propensity for them to go at it absolutely hammering tongs for the next six to eight weeks into Christmas or into the winter phase, especially knowing that there's uh, Olympic stuff coming up next year as well now, and maybe overdo it. So I think now is the time to kind of look at that environment and, as I say, do a SWAT environment on the environment, but from three different, four different, five different viewpoints of the people within that system all the way along, along that line. There's a point in here around a couple of people mentioned about feedback from, from the children and feedback from the players. Well, actually, do, do you know what? Right now, there is, I guess, athlete to athlete or player to player, there's probably less contact now than there ever has been. Now, sure, I'm sure lots of them will be friends socially and will find ways of connecting. But actually, if you're out there as a coach setting challenges or, or being a foundation for them to go and try things at home, well, your relationship with that player will continue to improve and develop potentially over this period of time. So what, what an opportunity to ask them, what, what, what do you want from me? What, what am I doing well? What would you like more of when, when you come to training next? Because they might just say something that's an insight to something you never really considered before. And actually, if you're involving the athletes in that reflection process and that review process, I can't think of anything much more athlete-centered than that because they feel like they've got a whole part to play in shaping the way and the how that you do your coaching. Oh, agree totally, 100% on that. And, and I'm sure there's, there are thousands of athletes out there at the moment doing completely different stuff than they would normally be doing in, a, in their normal coaching session. And loving it and improving and getting better at stuff and advancing certain skills or behaviors because they're being forced to and i and i'm you know i'm sure that um almost if you get turned your coaching sessions over to the athletes now and said right well you go ahead and do this if this is the outcome we want you go ahead and formulate it they're in a much better position now to to, to take that away and, and go deliver some sessions and 
write sessions differently. And I think from that as well, from a coaching point of view, you'll see what the kids enjoy, what's sustainable, what makes them tick and what makes them improve. Yeah. Alan, Tom, there's, there's been a really interesting point. You're talking about obviously the role of the participants of the players in terms of the provision of feedback. There's um, a good point in here around um, what would you suggest to feedback from the player? Would you expect them to be putting real honest feedback from their players, especially if potentially selection is at stake? That, 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 Anne, do you want to answer this or shall I? <laughs> You, you, you go for it, Tom. Right. I'll, I'll tee us off. Um, it's an interesting one, that, because I think, well, there's a whole dynamic here going on in terms of, I'm sure lots of players will, will bear that in mind, that actually if I say something which is negative towards the coach, then I stand less of a chance of being selected for, for whatever comes next. Or, or maybe there's almost that power in relationship piece where young, if you work with children, especially, that there's a lot of just wanting to please. They want to make sure that they want to make the coach happy so they'll do stuff that the coach is looking for. Um, so I think it's really important that when you're framing this and you're creating the environment for the athletes or the players to, to feedback to you, that they feel really safe and secure that whatever they say can be, can be kind of honestly reviewed and, and taken into account with, with, it, with it being non-judgmental, if you like. So I guess as coaches, we've got an op opportunity to um, objectify the subjective and then us to take a step back and really think about um, what's going to improve us us as a group and me as a coach more um, I, I think there's a whole there's a whole piece in there about trust environment and and that really kind of open communication and transparency that the coach would have with with their players would you say anything different to that Ella? no no I wouldn't really I, I... Uh, again, I've seen a couple of texts come through, and for me, it's all about the environment, and that's why I'm super keen at this moment in time that if you have the opportunity and you've had that pause to look at the environment you've created. I I believe the best environments I've ever seen in, in sport, whether that's community all the way up to uh, Olympic podium, is around that environment. That if you can create a trusting, honest, open environment where athletes and parents can can challenge coaches in a safe way in a in a proper way and vice versa then we'll all work towards it but again it comes back to why you're you're doing that coaching i think if you can set clarity on on what the vision is um for that that club or that squad or that individual or, or that group and we're all working towards that collectively and we all have buy-in um then we have that trust in that environment. Therefore, those perceived difficult questions aren't so difficult because they're part of day-to-day -day practice. I think it becomes difficult and people feel as though they want to be or have to be anonymous or, or can't have those conversations is when it's once in a blue moon. If it's every day, if it's built into the practice, if it's built into the micro, macro and meso cycles of that club and, and that athletes pathway from the moment they they come in to the moment they leave then it should be a normal way we do it at school you know i've sat down with one of my kids teachers and and it was quite brutal but it was the truth and we're only doing that because the, they want the child to get better and they want the, the parent to see how to help get better i'd be more annoyed as a parent if the teacher kept it from me and then we got a bad grade out of the blue when we needed to get a decent grade. So I think it's all about environment. I think it's about building that into your systems, building that into your processes, and building that into, as I say, that daily circadian rhythm of it's okay to question, it's okay to ask tough questions, it's okay to put your point of view across, it's okay to suggest stuff. If we can do that, then it's, it's a really good positive in, in environment. And I've just seen the word vulnerable there. And, and I think that's brilliant. The more vulnerable a coach is, the more vulnerable a program is, the more vulnerable an athlete is, I, I think, the more trust we can build into that environment and then the stronger the environment becomes. Um, and as I say, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of really good environments and I've seen thousands of really poor environments. And the big things I find is trust and vulnerability of, of every individual and that working towards a, a clear and open and honest 
set of uh, missions, really. Uh, there, was a, there was another comment in here in the text from Nick just about using using whiteboards for, for kids to write on. Some, something I did in, in a previous role um, was almost we had this shout out board on the side of the pitch. So it was aimed at the players to give feedback to each other in, in many respects. So uh, every drinks break or every time we had a gap in play, when they were ever getting their drinks, every player's name was on the whiteboard and they, they could give each other a shout out. They could, they could feedback on something they really liked about what someone else did in the group. Well, actually, we could reinvent that slightly as, as coaches and, and just add our name onto that list as well. Um, so we're part of that group. We, we're not necessarily sat separately from it. So they can use that as an opportunity to give feedback, but almost in a, in a non-direct way. Alan, you, you mentioned, um, we, we've talked about kind of the SWOT, SWOT analysis, and you, you mentioned that, um, and that what went well, even better if. Um, are there any other kind of models for reflection that you've, experienced or used or seen in the past that you think are really effective? As I said earlier, I'm, I'm kind of a very simple person and like to look at things in a very simple way. One, one of the other models I use is just when coaches do some reviews is what I like to do, what I need to do, what I want to do and what I have to do. Um, and, and I find that really powerful that if, if you actually really honestly reflect with yourself and say, well, what is it I like to do? And is that what we always end up doing? Um, what do I want to do? Do I not just bring in building in time to go research or, or do what I need to do um, to get into that want? What I need to do? Well, I need to do certain stuff and, and what I have to do. And I, and I kind of like to use the tax year for that. And all those self-employed people out there can empathise with this. We all know we have to do taxes at some point. No, I, I, I've only ever come across one person who actually likes doing his own tax returns and and very uh, minority of one, I believe. <laughs> so again, it's, it's kind of, if you can then move things that I have to do into a like to do category, it makes life a whole lot easier. Um, and the same we need to and want to. So the whole idea is, is to highlight what, what you need to do, what you want to do, and what you have to do and then work out mechanisms of putting them into, I like to do. Um, I'm not, as, as guys on our team will know, I'm not a great reader of journals and, and, and theory, but it's a, I have to do it and I, and I need to do it. Sometimes I want to do it, but I have to find a way of liking how to do it. And, and I found that recently over the last six months. It's still something I don't get 100% out of enjoyment out of, but. I now enjoy doing it. I wouldn't say I like doing it, I enjoy doing it. So it's less onerous. But I get to doing it now a lot quicker than when it was like, oh, you've got to read this by Friday. It would leave till 8.37 on a Friday morning knowing that it's got to be done by 9.30. So yeah, it's kind of moving stuff into that light box and finding mechanisms that go into that light box and, and why it is as well. So that's yeah. another area of reflection that I use. Awesome, awesome. Cool. So we, we've talked a, a bit about kind of these reflection models and, and like at the start we spoke about that, that re rewiring plan do review in this space and, and switching around what the priority is right now. So I guess that the next question is almost what, what are we planning for and how we can how we can gain some focus about what what the future looks like. Um, and I think something you mentioned earlier Alan which I think is a really interesting point um, is about the, the almost that that moving relationship between the organization where you're coaching, you as a coach, and then the players or the athletes in your care. And how can you almost manage a situation to make sure that the expectations and aspirations of all of those different parties are really well met within this space? Because I think yeah. kind of we, we, we'll have all been worked and coached in, in an environment or a situation where it's really clear what the organization's um, outcome is or what they'd like to aspire towards, whether that's uh, creating more players for the first team, increasing participation, uh, streamlining their development pathway, whatever that might be, they might have some really clear objectives. But equally, we want to make things athlete-centered. We want to put the people in our care at the heart of every decision we make and help them be front and center of everything we do as coaches. Well, actually, what excites them to come and train and play such as, I don't know, it could be about, depending on whatever stage or, or level you're working at, it could be about playing for a career uh, or, or for kind of winning medals. It might be about 
simply making friends and developing new skills, but what excites them about coming to training might not necessarily align with what the organization wants to aspire towards. So as a coach, there's a re really important role here and, and maybe a, a great, great open question for everyone to think about as well. What can you do to negotiate that space in the middle between that top-down organizational aspiration and that bottom-up athlete-led excitement to come and take part and play? What's our role in that and how can we best be, be in that middle ground? Oh, loaded. <laughs> in terms of loads of stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I just think, and I've already alluded to it already, we, we have an education system and we kind of, as, as having gone through it as students and, and now in that sphere of some of us adults, some of us coaches looking at it from an outside in point of view, we know there are steps at every point. You know that you, you go to into primary school at some point and you go into P1, then you move into to or into reception, then you go into P1, then you go up to P6, and then you go to a different school. And then you go through that and you do your GCSEs and then you go through to A-levels or, or college. And then you've got the possibility of going on to university and doing whether you want to do a degree, master's degree, PhD within that. So we have that in place. And we, I, I feel we relatively have that in, um, in sport as well. We have ins, we have throughs and we have outs into the next category. I just think at some points, what we don't do very well in sport and maybe what I talk to a lot of coaches around about their review is managing the expectations of, as, as you said, Tom, because coaches get caught in the middle, managing the expectations of the top down and the bottom up. And the bottom up happens to be the athlete and the parent. The top down happens to be whether it's a committee, a governing body, a performance director, et cetera, et cetera, or the next level up within a, within like an Arsenal Academy as such of what's, what, what are those expectations as well. And again, I'll go back to that. If we can review the environment, we can review the system and the processes involved in that in terms of monitoring evaluation, in terms of athletes feeding in, parents feeding in, committees feeding down, et cetera, then I think the possibility of a, of a, of a relatively seamless pathway for the athlete is is, is the end game on that. Now, where they decide to exit, where they're able to, is up to them and up to parents and up to ge geography and up to sometimes performance. But uh, I, I think it's doable. And I don't think a lot of people spend an awful lot of time. And again, I'll go back to the very, very first premise of this. We end up doing rather than looking at it as a review, then planning, then doing. So I think now, and especially now in six, eight, 12 weeks time, we can start putting some of those processes in place to even, you know, marry up and parallel some of the stuff that's happening in, in, a, in a very robust and, and uh, mature system like the education system. It, do you know what, Alan, every time we have a conversation, I write down something that you think <laughs> sticks with me. Oh, and, uh, that's uh, rubbish. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Don't listen to him again. Okay. <laughs> um, no, you, you just said, um, thinking about like a, that, that pathway through a, through a player, that there's an in, there's a through, and there's an out. And I think that's yeah. a really, it's, it's so simple when you break it down like that. But if you can really think about the detail of what that looks and feels like, the players or athletes in your system, and then how do we how do we make that the best possible experience for them to to move through our organisation? Wow, that that just it, it's such a simple idea, but it's so effective. And I guess I, I know we mentioned some of this when when we've spoken before, but well, actually, what do we? Let's use a football example. I don't know. We've got our under 14s, our second year under 14s. Next year, are moving into our under 16s group. What can we do? to aid some of that transition for them. So when they reach the under 16s next season, it's not different, it's not scary. They can maintain that level of autonomy and confidence within, within what they do. Um, but actually then if, if as coaches, and again, kind of reading back to what we're talking about today, if we're using this period of time to really effectively reflect and plan forwards for some action in the future, 
actually there's the details like that about mapping that transition from one age group to the next seamlessly that can have a huge impact on the players yeah and, and i also think that there's that matching but then there's also the explanation of that when people come in you know if i know when when i take my i have a nine-year-old daughter and i know next year we will be choosing secondary schools we don't do that in sport. We don't go, well, can we go to that one, that one, that one, and that one? Well, what's the best fit for it? But why shouldn't we? You know, we know the end outcome is for my daughter to get some GCSEs at some point, hopefully maths and English and, and a couple more, so she can go on to do what she wants to do. But it's really interesting. I don't think we give that sort of thought process in sport. I've just noticed a, a comment there from, from Emma. Um, about non-traditional sports and their pathways and I think that's a really good point as well and I think a lot of these reflections now are people creating their own pathways for that and, and you think about I don't know the Williams sisters in tennis who are actually part of the sport but did it in a non-traditional way uh, we can argue whether they would have been as good or better in a, in a more traditional pathway but again I think any coaching is about that environment you know the fact that those two girls wanted to train wanted to compete had each other to compete against helped towards where they are now and and i think the same within traditional sports as well it's it's building that environment as as tom alluded to there building that system of putting people up taking people down challenging this way challenging that way but if we've done it openly and explained why we're doing it and explained how we're doing it and give people enough information ahead of time during it and then reflection after, then it's all for the good of, of that athlete going towards their their own vision for what they want to do within the sport. Yeah. Um, I'm conscious we're, we're kind of running shorter on time. We'll kind of draw this to a close yeah. really soon. There was just one other point I just wanted to kind of put out there, which is something we spoke about before was, well, actually, um, if, we're, if we're thinking forwards and we're using this reflection time to, to develop ourselves as coaches and, and have that knock-on effect to the, the players in our care or the athletes in our care, what would that pathway or that program look like if we, if we asked the athlete to tell us what, how to design it or if they, they had a hand in the design of it? Now, I'm not necessarily saying we all go away and rewrite what our environments necessarily look like, but is there a difference, do you think, about, well, what what would what would a re, what do we think as coaches a great environment looks like and what do the players think and then again just an open question for everyone to think about really well is this an opportunity to reshape some of the environments we've got so when we do go back it's truly player centered yeah and and i i realize i've done quite a bit of speaking in the last 10 15 minutes tom but you know from your point of view uh, any other reflection tools, more formalized tools that, that you would use or? Um, for, for formalized tools, you know, there's one that, that, that stick, sticks to, come, comes into the front of my mind um, and someone mentioned it on the chat earlier, was around Amy Whitehead and, and the Think Aloud work, which I think is a really cool reflection tool um, that, that might help us as coaches really get into the, the, the detail of, of what we do when, when we're reflecting. So for those of you who aren't aware of what Think Aloud looks like, it's really just capturing your thoughts, almost at that, that internal monologue of, of what you're thinking while things happen in your practice. Um, and then it's an opportunity to reflect in action. So what are we looking at when, when the practice is taking place and then reflect on action as well. So after it happens, do we feel differently about about some of the decisions we made. Now, actually, we could use some of that now because actually we're reflecting for action. So we could take take some of that kind of feeling of what we've done in the past and, and apply it to the future. Um, but as a as a structured model, I think that that really stands out for me. Cool. Brilliant. Thank you, both of you. Um, we could let you go on for hours probably talking and looking at all the different dimensions thoughts that are coming into the chat box people seem to be really engaged with the conversation as well which is absolutely fantastic and just to reassure people again that we are capturing all the notes from the chat box and we will follow these through and allow people to continue conversations through different mediums with these points i was just really um interested um to ask you guys if you could summarize 
what potentially your, your three take home points from the conversations were. And I'd also ask people who are listening as well, if people wanted to post into the chat box, having listened to Tom and Alan and, and read the other points in there, what, what would your three take home bits as well be as well? So I'm going to get Alan and Tom to share theirs. But while they're sharing them, if people could be putting their points in the chat box as well, it'd be really interesting to capture those. Thank you. I'll, I'll kick it off, Tom, as soon as you just did the last point. Uh, the three for me are, the first thing is to actually build in time to either your weekly or monthly schedule to do a proper reflection. Build in a good half hour, hour, two hours to do some proper deep reflection. Um, again, I think it's something that gets missed out really, really um, a lot where I find. Um, the other thing I thought of going through this as well is, is use other people to help reflect. I don't think reflection is, is just an internal piece. I think the more people you can use, whether it's a small cohort that you go to one-to-one, -one, or the third thing uh, for me is, is form your own community of practice, whether that's the same sport or, or multi-sport community of practice, uh, and either include an athlete or not in there as well is maybe a good way to reflect. So, so those would be my threes. Build in natural time to reflect within your, your schedule. Use others to help reflect. And if, if it were me, I'd build up a community of practice of, of people from slightly different sports, but close geographically, who can, can, you can talk to. Um, and and if, again, if you want to include an athlete in there, then do so. Um, for me, the top three would probably be finding a critical friend. So who, who's out there who I can have a genuine discussion about, who, about coaching, who might ask me a question that I'd not, not ever thought about. So that could be someone else who's in the world of coaching, or it could be, it could be a partner at home when you're cooking tea. Um, so a critical friend, um, finding a model of reflection that suits you. Like Alan says, we, we don't always have the time to go out and, and reflect every day or after every single practice but finding something that's really really supportive towards you and the way that you work and then um, a big point for me is, is in engaging and involving uh, the athletes or the players in, in that feedback process so they have a voice um, and an ownership about what the future looks like join us at ukcoaching.org whatever you're doing to help people be active and improve we can help you deliver great coaching experiences at a time to suit you.